Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 58. In the last episode, I wrapped up Samson's story and began the summary of the next part of the text, specifically around the lesser-known Micah and his idol. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm continuing the story of Micah and what happens next, the history around the migration of the tribe of Dan to the north. And with that, let's get started. In the very beginning of Judges 18, we're again reminded that Israel had no king in that day, with the implication being that the tribes were not united and left to fend for themselves, and did as they saw fit. Also, this phrase tends to make an appearance when something's about to go down that isn't exactly kosher. Then, the text reads that in those days, the tribe of Dan was seeking a new territory to live in, for until then, no territory among the tribes of Israel had been allotted to them, which is a really odd thing to put into writing. Way back in Joshua 19, the boundaries of the land allotted to Dan by Joshua himself were recorded. A region that included Zorah, Elon, and Ekron, among many other places. And now we're told they received no allotment. My take on this, or better stated, how I reconcile it, is not that they received no territory, but instead they never managed to gain control over it. This was seen earlier with the most famous of the Danites, Samson, being in constant strife with the Philistines, despite having been a judge, at the same time, for 20 years. In fact, the story of Samson never says that the land had any sort of rest, unlike the tenure of most of the other judges. In reaction to their inability to control where they'd been trying to settle, the Danites sent five brave men to explore and spy out places to relocate to. The handful were from Zorah and Eshtael. When they came to the hill country of Ephraim, specifically to Micah's house, they stayed there. Now we're beginning to see why an entire chapter of Judges was devoted to Micah. All background information. While the five Danite spies were at his house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. So they went over and asked him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? The priest replied, Micah did such and such for me, and he hired me, and I have become his priest. They then said, Inquire of God that we may know whether the mission we are undertaking will succeed. The priest replied, Go in peace. The mission you are on is under the eye of the Lord. With this assurance, the five men went out. They would make it as far as Laish, where they observed the people who were there living securely, similar to the way the Sidonians lived, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing, rich in possessions. Despite seeming to be Sidonians, they lived quite a distance from that place. The people of Laish were also not allied with Aram Damascus. This seclusion, of itself, is noteworthy. They were politically isolated. After this, the five spies returned to their home cities of Zorah and Eshtile. After hearing this positive news, 
600 Danite men armed themselves with what are described as the weapons of war and headed north. While on the march, they encamped in Judah, at a place that would become known as Mahanedan, literally translating to the camp of Dan, a name it would maintain to this day, meaning when the book of Judges was written. The 600 then marched to the hill country of Ephraim, coming to Micah's house. At this point, the original five spies said to the hundreds of others, Do you know that in these buildings there are an ephod, a teraphim, and an idol cast of metal? Now, therefore, consider what you will do. All 600 turned in the direction of the Levite's house and greeted him. While the armed 600 stood by the entrance of the gate to the house, the five spies entered the house, took the cast silver idol, along with the ephod and teraphim. While this was happening, the priest was standing by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men. But he wasn't just going to wait and see what happened. Instead, he went to the five asking what they were up to. They answered, Keep quiet, put your hand over your mouth and come with us, and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be the priest at the house of one person or to be the priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And just like that, the priest accepted their offer, taking the ephod, teraphim, and the idol, and joining them on the march to Laish. Then, the story mentions something a bit unexpected. The 600 Danite men resumed their journey, putting the little ones, the livestock, and the goods in front of them. The little ones, meaning their children. All along, the text has made no mention of the warriors' families joining them, at least until now. But then again, this is the story of the migration of Dan. And why were the families up front, with the warriors in the rear? Because the greatest threat wasn't ahead, but behind. From their fellow Israelites they had just robbed. The everyone doing what was right in their own eyes thing. All of this would play out rather quickly as the Danites weren't quite off the hook. Just after they left Micah's house, he got wind of what was going on. When the hundreds of Danites were some unspecified distance from his house, Micah's neighbors called out, formed up, then called up. Micah and his fellows would catch up with the Danites, with Micah confronting the amassed warriors. Before he could say anything, they got the first word in. What is the matter that you come up with such a company, meaning all his neighbors that rushed to his assistance? Micah replied, You take my gods that I made, and the priest, and go away. And what do I have left? How then can you ask me, what is the matter? The Danites were unabashedly unapologetic, replying, You had better not let your voice be heard among us, or else the hot-tempered fellows will attack you and you will lose your life and the lives of your household. The ancient version of the golden rule. Sort of. That golden rule, at least then, was that he who had the gold makes the rules. In this case, it was more of whoever had the superior numbers, weapons, and silver idols tended to make the rules. Rules like taking possessions and recruiting away household priests after this extremely brief confrontation, the 600 armed Danites went their way. And Micah? 
Well, he quickly made the wise decision that they were too strong for him, so he turned around and went back to his home. Soon after this, the Danites finally came upon their target, Laish, where the people remained quiet and unsuspecting. Dan attacked, literally put them to the sword, then burned down the city. That last part was surprising. If they planned on moving there, why'd they burn it down? No explanation is provided. More detail, though, is given. No one came to the rescue of the people of Laish, as they were still too far from Sidon and had no other allies, just as the spies had reported. The Danites rebuilt the city and changed its name to that of the tribe, a name it holds to this day, and in this case, that means through the modern era, though the modern place is actually a small town and near the tell where the ancient city was located. Details. I dove into the history of that place earlier in this chapter of the podcast. There's a bit more to the Danite story, something that's really forward-looking. The text relays that the Danites set up the idol, the idol formerly known as Micahs. They set this idol up for themselves. Jonathan, the son of Gershom, who was the son of Moses, and Jonathan's sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the time the land went into the captivity. The priests maintained Micah's idol as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. As seen in the text, whichever tribe these priests were from, they would watch over the idols until the Danites went into the captivity. This was likely the Babylonian captivity, which was between 597 and 539 B.C. What this means is that the history recorded in this part of the text was written after that date. What to make of this? It could mean that the entire book of Judges was written at a much later time, or maybe a passage as small as this verse and the few around it. And that's Judges 18. Chapter 19 switches gears again. So it goes with the book trying to tie the history of the period from just after the wanderings and settlement in Canaan with what's to follow. We're reminded, again, that in those days there was no king in Israel, implying that at some later point there would be a king. Then, an unnamed Levite who lived in what's called the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim took in a concubine from Bethlehem. At some point, this unnamed concubine became angry with him and left, traveling back to her father's house in Bethlehem. Four months would pass before her husband went looking for her. He took his servant with him and a couple of donkeys, planning to speak to her tenderly. Upon reaching her father's house, the girl's father saw him and came out with joy to meet him. The Levite's father-in-law coaxed him into staying at the house for three days. The text then gives a great bit of detail on how this planned short stay kept getting extended. Finally, on the sixth day, and even though it had gotten late in that day, the Levite decided to depart with his wife, servant, and the couple of saddled donkeys. They would travel as far as the city of Jebus, which was likely the name that the city of Jerusalem was going by at the time. 
When they got there, the servant spoke up, asking the Levite to take a break from their traveling and spend the night in the city. The Levite wasn't listening, telling his servant, and presumably his wife, We will not turn aside into a city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will continue on to Jibeah. Let us try to reach one of these places and spend the night at Jibeah, or Ramah. So they went on their way, and the sun went down on them near Jibeah, which was in the territory of Benjamin. They then traveled further to the city of Jibeah, where they planned on spending the night. The man went in and sat down in the open square of the city, but no one took them in. Late day turned to evening, and along with that, there was an old man coming in from his work in the field. This man was originally from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was residing in Jibea. At this point, we are again reminded that Jibea was controlled by the Benjaminites. There's also something else in here, that it wasn't terribly uncommon for people to live outside of their home territories. A Levite could be at home almost anywhere, but an Ephraimite tilling the ground in Benjamin, apparently not unheard of either. Back in Jibea, when the old man looked up and saw the wayfarer in the open square of the city, he said, Where are you going and where do you come from? The Levite answered him, We are passing from Bethlehem and Judah to the remote parts of the whole country of Ephraim, from which I come. I went to Bethlehem and Judah, and I am going to my home. No one has offered to take me in. We have straw and fodder for our donkeys with bread and wine for me and the woman and the young man along with us. We need nothing more. The old man extended an invitation for the trio to stay at his house, where they washed their feet, ate and drank, and fed the donkeys. While they were enjoying themselves at the old man's house, the men of the city, described as a perverse lot, surrounded the house and started pounding on the door. They said to the old man, Bring out the man who came into your house, so that we may... And I'm going to skip over the next part. Let's just say what they told the old man that they were going to do to the Levite would make me lose my clean rating on iTunes. The unnamed old man went out to them and begged them not to do what they said they were going to do. He then proposed a solution that involved his own daughter and the Levite's wife. Still, too much for this podcast. And if you're thinking this story sounds vaguely familiar, it's extremely similar to Lot's story found in Genesis 19. Back in Judges, the men did not listen to the old man. After this, the Levite threw his own wife out of the house to the raging mob. And what happened next is also too much for this forum. The next morning... As the sun began to break, the mob let her go. She made her way back to the house, falling down at the door, dying where she fell. When her husband got up and opened the door, as he was leaving to begin the next part of his journey home, he found his dead wife lying on the threshold. He put her on a donkey, then set out to finish his trip. When they got there, he did yet another thing I cannot repeat. Let's just say he made sure. All of the Israelite tribes received a stark message about what the Benjaminites had done to his wife. As part of his message, he asked the other tribes, 
Has such a thing ever happened since the day that the Israelites came up from the land of Egypt until this day? Consider it. Take counsel and speak out. And that's how chapter 19 wraps, which gives me a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll continue the story of this Benjaminite episode and the summary of Judges. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.